The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Just a, a word of thanks. I, I cannot respond to all the emails, texts, phone calls, but I am so grateful for all of those. By God's grace, we're doing quite well. Uh, back to walking five miles a couple of times a week, uh, lifting weights and uh, doing the stuff we we're doing before. So I, I'm just grateful for God's goodness. So... To him be the glory. I don't know what the outcome of this is, but we're going to walk with him, honor him, and trust him every single day and enjoy every day that God gives us, however many that may be. So that's our prayer as a family and as a body, and it's a privilege really to be the pastor of this flock. And uh, Bev and I love you so much and grateful for you and all you've done to support us. So this morning we continue our series on questions, and the question before us today is, why are there so many denominations and why can't the church be united? Why are there so many different denominations and why can't the church be united? We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. I'm going to read it. Uh, Why don't we do something a little differently? Why don't you stand with me as I read God's word? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Your Bibles are your apps so you can follow along. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no division among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Literally the word of schemazo, there are divisions among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And remember, Paul's writing this. He said, I I didn't die for you, and you don't get baptized in my name. You're not my follower, you're Christ's follower. Then look at verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, that no man should say they were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I did not know whether I baptized any other. I grew up Baptist. We had meticulous records of who baptized who and when and attendance and all that stuff. Paul was not a Baptist. You can tell right here. He's saying, I I, I can't remember everybody who I baptized. You could have looked at the records. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Some of you grew up in traditions that taught you had to be baptized to be saved. This verse would not make sense if that's the case. Look at what he says. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The gospel and baptism are separate. Baptism is following what Christ has already done in your life. It's a statement of your faith. And then he says, I didn't come in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ should be made void. Father, would you teach us from the word? We've had a great time worshiping you. We feasted at the table, which is a foretaste of what awaits us in glory. And now, Father, you gave us a word that's eternal. Would you teach us from it? In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Conflict comes in all shapes, sizes, and forms. It happens in my family, it happens in your family, and it happens in God's family. I, I mean, the reality of it is conflict happens. I googled up uh, church splits, church arguments, church fights. And when I did that, it's amazing the things that come up. And so uh, there was one article that said uh, 25 arguments that led to church splits. And so I became curious about what some of those were. So these are some of the things that church split over. Uh, First of all, the argument was over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Now, that's quite an interesting reason to split a church, isn't it? Uh, I think Hesitations 320 says it can't be more than a half inch long or something like that. I don't know what it is. Another church split over this. There was an argument to vote and decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. 
Just take the clock out of the way. If, if you've been here for any point in time, there's a clock right back there. It means absolutely nothing to us, so I don't know why you would. We, we have TBC time. Uh, another church split over this. A, a dispute in the church because a Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. And there was a fight in a deacon's meeting, and the church split over that. And if you want to be a New Testament church, what do you serve? Wine. That's what they had. I'm all in favor of that, but I mean, we're not going to do that. <laughs> another church split. There was an argument on whether the church should all... Whether the church should all, whether the church should all deviled eggs, that doesn't make sense. Whether they should have deviled eggs at the church meal, deviled eggs. They split over that. My thoughts were if you balance it out with angel food cake, it probably works out pretty well. We could have saved that fight. I mean, that's absolutely, I mean, the point of all that, it's insane and inane what the body of Christ splits and fuss, splits over and fusses over. I mean, that's what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's really insane and inane on why we separate. You remember the name of my favorite church? It's in Atlanta, the original church of God in Christ, number two. (laughs) There's a story there, I guarantee you. I mean, sadly enough, churches split, denominations split. If you look on the bulletin you received in your hands, in 1900, there were 1,800 Christian denominations. I put Christian in parenthesis. In 2000, there were 33,800 Christian denominations. What happened? Why does this take place? What happens? I'm convinced that conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. I'm also convinced that when believers, brothers and sisters argue, the devil could care less who wins, he just passes out the ammunition. He could care less who wins. But he's going to give us ammunition to throw at one another. I I typed in my notes, is Jesus pleased with all this? Is Jesus pleased with all this? Well, in John 17, we have really the true Lord's Prayer. We call our Father who art in heaven in the Sermon on the Mount the Lord's Prayer. That's really him teaching the disciples how to pray. The true Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. And in John 17, listen to this prayer of Jesus. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, his disciples, but those who believe in me through their word. So that's us, succeeding generations. Listen to what he prays. That they may be one. Even as thou, Father, art in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which thou hast given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, his prayer was, Father, I I pray that my disciples and succeeding generations might be one. And as Paul begins to write the letter of 1 Corinthians, he begins the, the section, he begins the whole book by talking about his apostleship, but then he quickly talks about the need for unity in the church because he recognizes without that foundation, without that foundation, the church will never be what it's meant to be. You know, the Hatfield and McCoys are infamous for their family feud back in the hills of Tennessee, which you probably don't know is they can trace their family roots to Corinth. I mean, Corinth was a place where there was fussing and feuding, and that's stretching it some, but the church in Corinth was about feuding families and feuding people. And while TBC has been miraculously spared of major fussing and feuding over the years, it doesn't mean we're immune of it, or for it, or to it. But we've not been totally unscathed. I have been here at TBC 36 years this August 15th, and by God's grace, and I believe the generosity of the leadership to, to lead with open hands and hopefully in humility, By God's grace, in 36 years, we've never had a major schism. 
And that's a remarkable, remarkable thing in today's age. And my prayer is that in decades to come, until Jesus comes back, we can still say that. Whoever's here preaching after we've all gone to glory, unless Christ comes back first, that we can say these brothers and sisters represent Christ and they model what Jesus said. Jesus said, they shall know you're my disciples by your love for one another. John chapter 14. And so what we're going to talk about today is what causes denominations and churches to split and how do we find unity in the midst of the day that we live in? So divided and conquer, what causes a church to split? What causes a denomination to split? Uh, how does all this happen? Well, first of all, we're going to use Corinthians as our, as our proof text, if you will, or to talk about this. And what we saw happening there was they were having schisms over non-essentials. Schisms over non-essentials. Look at verse 10. Paul says, I exhort you. The word exhort there is parakaleo. It means to come alongside in order to help. To come alongside in order to help. Paul says, I'm exhorting you. I'm come alongside you, brothers. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. They're saved people. He said, I'm coming alongside you in order to help you. It's a coach with a player saying, go ahead. You can do it. Keep going. It's a parent with a child saying, don't quit. Don't give up. It's what my family does when I start a new diet every Monday. I mean, you can do this. Keep gone. It's going to happen. And I can still hear my kids when they were young. Dad, a a Diet Coke doesn't balance out chips and salsa. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Or or carrot cake can't be counted as a vegetable, even though I thought it could be. But it's to come alongside to help somebody. And he said, I'm coming alongside you, my dear brothers in Corinthians, my dear sisters in Corinthians and Corinth, to correct your sins, to correct your shortcomings. And my rebuke is well-intentioned. It needs to be heeded. Paul's saying, I beg you. I, I beg you. Look at what he says to agree. I, I want you to get along. How many of you have been on vacation sometime this past year, this, this year, either this summer or earlier? So this sounds like parents turning to the backseat of the car or the van or the suburban. Just get along. Just get along. And, and that's what Paul's saying. It's like a father turning to his kids and saying, I, I just need you to get along. I need you to agree. I need you to agree over what? We'll see it in a second. He does it in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the agreement is. And he says that there be no divisions among you. The word for divisions is schemazo. Schemazo. You hear the English equivalent to that? What's the English equivalent to that? Schemazo would be what? Schism. Schism. A division. He's saying there shouldn't be any schisms among you. There shouldn't be divisions among you. And and Paul is saying, I'm correcting what's happening in the midst. I need you to get along. I need you to be made uh, complete of the same mind and of the same judgment. You know, the older I've gotten, the more I've recognized how important it is that being right is not as important as being loving. I've realized, you know, when I was a young man, there were certain things we we hammered out mission statements and core values and philosophy of ministry and all those things are important. But here's what I'm here to report to you. Those things are needed and necessary, but never at the expense of loving, caring relationships. They shall know you're my disciples by your love for one another. I had to apologize to folks in the past when I was a younger man and even now at times, recognizing that sometimes the need to be right trumps the love and concern and care you have for others. And that's just wrong. And so for me personally, when I look at this, I recognize, you know, when you've got one foot on earth and one foot in heaven, as the way we are supposed to live, and especially for me in the past years, and especially the last month, I hope I've become more patient, a better listener, not overreacting, not making mountain out of molehills. And I apologize for the times when I thought it was more important to be right than to be loving, because that's just wrong. 
And so what we recognize, they, they were dealing with non-essentials. He says, I want you to get along. I want you to be made complete. That means to be perfectly joined together. He says, quit your bickering. Quit creating this obnoxious cacophony of noise between you. Quit your whining. Quit your complaining and get along. So what was a great problem? I mean, why are they not getting along? Was it because of the inerrancy of the Bible? Because of sola scriptura, sola fida, sola gratia? Was it because of some major doctrine they were, they, they were violating? Was it the atonement, the resurrection? Was it that salvation by grace plus works? What was the issue? They were dividing over the popularity of, of different leaders. Over the popularity and following different leaders. And so this was a schism over a non-essential. Now, I'm glad that doesn't happen in the church today, amen? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, I, I want to state unequivocally from the front, TBC will not compromise on doctrines that are essential to the faith. When it comes to who our Father is, who our Savior is, how salvation comes, and that's by grace, by faith and grace alone, we're, we're not going to compromise on the essentials of the faith. But when it comes to non-essentials, we're going to exercise great love for one another in a broad way because of that. And say, Gary, what are some of the non-essentials? I, I mean, what are the non-essentials we shouldn't divide over? Um, I talked to a friend this week. He was leaving a church because they quit using the King James Bible. I mean, they divide over which translation. About you were here when Dan Wallace was here two or three weeks ago, and the original manuscripts are the inspired manuscripts, but we don't have those, the version of the Bible. You hold a translation in your hand, I hold a translation. So we recognize that the, 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 the translation of the Bible is not something to split over. How often to serve communion, how to serve communion. The church is a split over that issue. Worship wars in the past has become a major issue. How to dress on Sunday mornings has become an issue for some churches to divide over. You saw the different things that I popped up here. Those are all non-essentials. You don't divide over that stuff. Their essentials will never compromise. Who our Father is, who our Savior is, the, the great gift of salvation we have, and the list goes on. We're not afraid at TBC to be dogmatic on doctrines that are dogmatic but we're going to exercise grace and great love over non-essentials. We're not going to judge one another and create schisms because of those things. At the heart of most schisms, selfishness. The heart of most schisms is a desire to be right rather than a loving relationship with one another. And we can be so petty at times. The things I put up there, I mean, the length of somebody's beard, whether to put a clock in and out of an auditorium, um, I, uh, w what kind of food we're going to serve at a potluck dinner. I mean, that, those are idiotic reasons to split a church. But we love to fight, don't we? I mean, that's what Paul's talking about. We love to quarrel. We've been spared. But let's face it, we look around, we've gone from 1,800 to 33,000 different denominations, not churches, but denominations. Because we like to fight. It happens in your family, it happens in my family. We, we argue over the dumbest things sometimes. I, I read this a couple of weeks back or a couple of months back. It said, I kind of feel sorry for my mommy and daddy. They can't help it. They're grown-ups. They can't decide whether to leave the toilet seat up or to put it down. Daddy wants it up. Mommy wants it down. They were talking real loud about it today. I asked them why they were arguing. Daddy said they weren't arguing. They were discussing. After they were done, I snuck into the bathroom. I put the toilet seat back up so I could hear them discuss things again. <laughs> you know, we laugh at that and we think it's so petty, but here's the reality. Churches have split over dumber things. So 
Why do churches and denominations split and struggle? First of all, schisms over non-essential. Secondly, partisan allegiance to specific leaders. Partisan allegiance to specific leaders. I mean, look at verses 11 and 12. In verses 11 and 12, he said, there are some of you, I've been informed, there are some of you walking around that are creating or having quarrels. The word is division there, same word, schisms. And some of you are saying, hey, I'm a proud pupil of Paul. And some of you are saying, I'm an enduring admirer of Apollos. And some of you are saying, I'm a courageous chosen one of Cephas, that's Peter. And then the most spiritual one saying, hey, you guys can follow men. I'm following Christ. I'm of Christ. I mean, look at verse 13, or or, I'm sorry, verse 12. He's saying, you're splitting camps over following certain individuals. Partisan allegiance to specific leaders. When I read that verse and see what happens there, it's really a tragedy. It's a tragedy. I'm glad we don't have that problem today. No personality calls today, right? I, I mean, take a look at these folks. I'm of Matt Chandler, I'm of Tim Keller, I'm of John Piper, I'm of Beth Moore, I'm of Phyllis Shire, I'm of Jenny Allen. Take your pick. I've heard of women not going to Bible studies because we're not doing the Beth Moore Bible study. I've heard of men who say, you read Tim Keller, I'm not going to follow you. You you, you are a follower, you you believe what Piper believes. In fact, I I know people that can quote R.C. Sproul more than they can quote the Bible. I know people and quote Jenny Allen more than they quote the scriptures. Our allegiance is to the Savior. One of the great joys Bev and I have had has been being here with you for 36 years. It's a great privilege. It's an honor, really. To, to, we're humbled and grateful. One of my great fears is that your eyes get focused upon a man and not the Savior, though. And that's what he's talking about here. The phone call that I hate the most used to take place on Sunday morning. Now, I want to compliment you. It doesn't happen much anymore. But the phone call I hated the most was the call when our office was over here. I'd hear the deacon's answer. And the question on the other end was what? Gary preaching today. I hate that phone call. You don't come here because of a man. You come here because of a Savior. This man's feet are made of clay. My heart has been transformed But it's amazing to me, after walking with Christ for over 40-plus years, how sometimes I can have the most wicked thoughts. And we need to model Christ. Our prayer has been, we want to model Christ before you. And we really want to seek to live transparent lives. But the reality is, don't fix your eyes upon a man. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. And I'm so grateful for our young men who've been preaching up here. Aren't you grateful for those men? Because for four years now, we have been on a team rotation up here. And I gave the elders a plan when I turned 50. That was 12 years ago. You can do the math. I'm 62 now. I'm old. And, and I, there's nothing wrong with getting older from my perspective either. But, but here's the reality. The reality is these men have done a fine job. They're working on their craft. They're getting better every time they preach. Every one of them. In my prayers, your eyes are not fixed upon man. But I gave the elders a plan when I turned 50 and said, I've looked at other churches, and when you have a long-tenured pastor who's beloved by most, uh, not by all, but most anyway, um, it's not a pretty picture when he goes away. And so we intentionally set up a teaching team. This is before I was ever diagnosed with a bad cancer. We set up a teaching team so that my voice goes away. Now, I thought it was going to be retirement, you know, about 68 or so but God may have other plans. I don't know. But here's the reality. My voice goes away. Another voice comes. 
the thing that would kill me the most would be if you left TBC because Gary's not here. That is just wrong. You don't come here to honor a man. You come here to honor the Savior. And I, that's what Paul's saying here. You don't say, oh, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I'm not trying to build myself up in any way. But the reality of it is, when you've done the same thing for a long time in the same place with the same people, that can happen. In Second Chronicles chapter 26, there's a story of a guy named Joash. He becomes king, and it says, as long as Jehoiada the priest was alive, Joash followed the ways of the Lord. Second Chronicles 24, take a look at it later. And soon as Jehoiada the priest died, Joash went bad. His eyes were fixed upon a man, not the Savior, not the Father. So it may be whoever leads your Bible study, it may be a pastor on our staff, it may be an elder, it may be somebody that mentored you in the past. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, not upon others. Three times Paul says, I, three times he says, I come to please God, not man. And I believe this is a struggle in Paul's life, that's why he says it. And so when we pay partisan allegiance to specific leaders, we create disunity within the body of Christ. By the way, when some leader begins demanding allegiance to him, run. When leaders impose extra biblical or legalistic standards upon you, you run. When leaders are ungodly and unrepentant, you run. Because Paul says there's a lack of perspective here. It's a lack of perspective. Look at verse 13. He says, Christ hasn't been divided. Paul wasn't crucified for you. Don't, don't say, don't, don't be, become part of my fan club. I didn't die for you. Don't become part of my fan club. You're not going to be baptized in my name. Paul says, you are not my convert. D.L. Moody, the great preacher of Chicago, was walking down the street after dinner one night in Chicago, and as he walked by a restaurant, uh, a man came stumbling out and literally fell to the ground right in front of him, and D.L. Moody reached up to help him up, and he turned to Dr. Moody, and he said, Dr. Moody, I'm one of your converts. The man was obviously inebriated. And Moody, without missing a beat, said, uh, now we need to make you a convert of Jesus. Said, Mr. Moody, I'm one of your converts. Hey, you don't need to be my convert. You need to be a convert to Jesus. Who are your eyes fixed on? He says there's a, there's, there's a lack of perspective here. Christ is the one who died for us. Christ is the one whose name we're baptized in. We honor him. Paul says my purpose is to bring men to Jesus, not to myself. And then there's a certain immaturity that comes along with this. Look at verses 14 through 16. He says, I, I thank you that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. You were talking about who baptized you. You're splitting and you're arguing and you're having divisions because you're saying, ah, nanny, 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 boo-boo, Paul baptized me, or, or Apollos baptized me. Or... And you look at that and think, how inane, how inane. And he says, it's just a display of immaturity. It's a display of immaturity. And finally, Paul says, the other problem, what causes, the, one of the things that causes splits and division within the body of Christ, within churches, and between individuals even, is we get off on tangents. Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize. As I said a little earlier, if baptism was part of the salvation equation, don't you think Christ would have been baptizing people? How many people did Jesus baptize? Not a trick question. How many did Jesus baptize? None. None. If you had to be baptized to be saved, don't you think Jesus would be baptizing people all the time? And Paul says, hey, I, I may have baptized a handful of you. Imagine if Jesus baptized people. People walk around and say, guess who baptized me? I mean, think about that for a second. If Paul went around baptizing, you'd stand in line to be baptized by Paul. 
And Paul says, this is crazy. It's just a display of immaturity and getting off in tangents. I didn't come to baptize. I came to tell people the gospel. So note very well, the gospel is set apart from baptism. You can't be baptized to be saved. Now, we're going to do baptism in a few weeks. Baptism is an important part of our testimony. Baptism is you stating publicly that Christ is your Savior. Baptism is something we're instructed to do and we should obey. But the reality of it, baptism is not part of the package of salvation. Salvation is faith in Christ and Christ alone. And so what we see is that schisms take place or division takes place, and there's schisms over non-essentials, personal allegiance to specific leaders, a lack of perspective, immaturity, and getting off on tangents. So how do we stay united? How do we stay united? Well, first of all, we're going to be united in the essentials. At TBC, we are not embarrassed. We are going to state dogmatically the truth of the scriptures. If it's an essential, we're going to wet ourselves to it. We will never be divorced from the power of the resurrection of Jesus and eternal hope and eternal life in him. I can go on and on. We'll never be divorced from the inerrancy and inspiration of the scriptures. We'll never be divorced from salvation is by faith in Christ alone. We make those statements. Go to our website. You can read it. We will never back off from those. Those are essentials. In Acts chapter 15, Galatians chapter 1, Paul says they're essentials of the faith we must adhere to. And so we will be united in the essentials. We will walk hand in hand in the essentials. Secondly, we will not judge one another over non-essentials. We're not going to judge one another over things that don't matter. I mean, that is not the way we are to live our lives as believers. But yet we tend to be so judgmental. One author said, or, or Paul says this, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, there's our word about unity, any comfort from his love, common sharing of the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit, being of one mind. Do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. So when I show up at TBC on Sunday, when you show up at TBC on Sunday, we should be asking the question, who can I serve today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I love today? We've become a consumer nation. And oftentimes we walk in thinking, I wonder what I'll get today. Versus what can I give in my worship and to others today? And that's my prayer. One of my prayers is that we would be a family that is always giving to one another. We're not going to judge one another. Thomas Akempa says the essence of legalism is trusting religious activity rather than God. It's putting our confidence in a practice rather than a person. Without fail, this will lead to loving the practice more than a person. We'll judge one another. We'll judge how we dress. We'll judge how we look. We judge where we go. We judge all this stuff over the non-essentials. Because legalism is me putting my rules on you and you put them on me. And if it's a non-essential, we're not going to go there. We're going to initiate reconciliation. If we want to live in unity, we're going to have to initiate reconciliation. When we get crossways with one another, we have to talk. Dysfunctional families bury issues. Dysfunctional families bury issues, and the family of God cannot bury issues. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you're, if you're offering... If you are offering your gift at the altar, that means you're in worship. There, remember your brother has something against you. Put your gift down. Leave worship. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Come and Then come and offer your guilt. He says, if you've got somebody you're at odds with, go and be reconciled before you come to worship. So you get your pens ready? You got your devices ready? 
Okay? Who are you at odds with? Is there somebody in the body of Christ you're at odds with? Maybe it happened in the car on the way here today. Okay? Maybe you need to lean over and say, hey, babe, I'm sorry. Somebody asked me one time, is that why you and Bev come in different cars every Sunday? Say, nah, Bev never comes to an early service. You guys get her at 11 o'clock, you know. My wife is the one who said if God wanted, to see, if God wanted her to see sunrise, he'd make it later in the day. Okay. But, but, but really, you got somebody to be reconciled to? You know my line. If they're sitting next to you, don't type their name in right now. But who is that person? Who is that person? Because the reality of it is I need to be reconciled here before I worship this way. Um, next, the way of love. You know, if anything the past four years have taught me, it's the importance of loving other people. Now, I feel like I, I really, that, that's been my heart for 36 years. But even more so, you begin to think of what really matters in life. What matters is I, I sent out a text to a few folks yesterday. I, I just value the friendship that God's given us. And I'm so grateful for that. And you recognize when, when your days may be short, how grateful you are for other people that surround you with the loving care of the Savior. You just love that. And Paul talks about that. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I mean, make every effort you can not to create division and dissension, but have the bond of peace. And then finally, Augustine said, in essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, and all things, love. Finally, we yield to the Spirit. If we want to have unity it's the Spirit of God controlling your life, the Spirit of God controlling my life, the Spirit of God controlling our lives. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to fight the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. And when my life is filled with the Spirit and your life is filled with the Spirit, I'm convinced we'll all get along. Or as Paul said, let's all agree. In Ephesians, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen and holy beloved people, Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and patience, gentleness. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord's forgiven you. And over all these things, put on love that binds us together in perfect unity. So when you begin to love one another, it doesn't mean we overlook essentials. Don't mishear me. But it means we come together. You know why? Because Christ is the head of this body and we are his church. And because of that, we walk in unity. And we may not see eye to eye on everything, but we can walk hand in hand in love because of that. Unity, my friends, begins with you. Begins with you. Now, at some point in time, we all came from different churches. There were only about 40 people, 150 people when we got here. We came from different places. Some of us moved in from other communities. Some of us changed churches. TBCers have gone to other churches in our community. We're not talking about that. But, but I am saying, that there, let me give you three applications I'll talk about that. Number one, some of us need to repent. When we have left other places, we have left in discord and division, and we've created some of that, and we need to repent of that. Secondly, we need to reconcile. If we have been the cause of that, we need to go and reconcile. Thirdly, we need to rejoice. 
For 36 years, God has spared this body of a major schism. That is a miracle in itself. That's a miracle. And we need to thank God for that. We need to pray that for decades to come, it will remain that way. That we will be bold to stand for the essentials, but we will be gracious and loving when it comes to the non-essentials. And we won't get caught up in partisan allegiance or immaturity or tangents, but we'll follow Christ. Satan divides to conquer. God unites to conquer. But how we love to squabble. How we love to squabble. And it's my prayer that we'll be united and not squabbling together. Max Licato uses a little metaphor in one of his books about how we love to squabble. He writes, some time ago, I came upon a fellow on a trip who was carrying a Bible. I looked at him and I asked, are you a believer? Yes, he said excitedly. I've learned you can't be too careful though, so I begin to ask him some questions. Virgin birth, I ask, I accept it. Deity of Christ, no doubt. Death of Christ on the cross, he died for all people. Could it be I was face to face with a true believer? Perhaps, nonetheless, I continued my checklist. Status of man. Sinner in need of grace, definition of grace, God doing for man what he can't do, return of Christ, imminent, Bible inspired, the church, the body of Christ. My heart began to beat out of my chest. I was excited. It could be a true believer, conservative, liberal, conservative. He said, my heart beat faster, heritage, Southern Congregationalist, Holy Son of God, Dispensationalist, Triune Convention. That was my church too, I said. Branch, premillennial, post-trib, non-charismatic, King James, one cup communion. My eyes begin to mist. I had one last question. Is your pulpit wooden or fiberglass? Fiberglass, he responded. I withdrew my hand to fellowship, stiffened my neck, and screamed, heretic, and I walked away. <laughs> you know, that is funny. It's also tragic. Because those first five things that popped up, True stories, true stories, churches that don't resemble the Savior because they're fussing and feuding like the church at Corinth. And Paul says, put that stuff aside. Let's get along because the reputation of Christ is at stake. Father, we pray that you will protect this body. I think of the elders gathered at the shore with Paul when he said, beware. Beware, because there are going to be wolves in sheep clothing that come into your midst seeking to create division. God, thank you for protecting this body for many, many, many years. And would you do so in the future? And God, thank you. Thank you for gracious leaders. Thank you for elders, deacons, staff. Thank you for those who teach our kids, those who lead studies, who graciously open their hands towards others. God, would you help us to be united? Not to overlook essentials, but to be united in what matters. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen and amen. Bless you.